Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 8. Over the past, well really about two months now altogether, we have been looking at the uh, prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, which is really a foundational verse, uh, verses I should say, for us to understand the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for us and what his mission was uh, on this earth. And uh, like I said, for a lot of folks, Isaiah 53 is, um, for some Christians, it's somewhat a familiar passage, at least, you know, bits and pieces of it. But I'll be honest with you, it's, it's been a refreshing to really dig into it, to see exactly who the person, who the servant of Isaiah 53 really is. And so as we've been talking about, today is going to be really, we've been laying those foundations uh, for Isaiah 53. We talked about really, it's kind of the forbidden chapter. Uh, most Jewish people have never read it. They're very unfamiliar with it. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, again, you can be accused. I, in fact, I was some years ago. Uh, I was meeting with a, a couple, a Jewish couple, and we got on, on the subject. I opened up a Hebrew Bible. I read Isaiah 53, and they accused me of reading the New Testament uh, because that is just they're unfamiliar with it. And so I understand that. But uh, I think a lot of Christians, too, were kind of unfamiliar with who exactly is Jesus Christ in the foundation of that. And so today, we are going to be looking at Isaiah 53 in the book of Acts. You're probably scratching your head, what's going on with that? So I invite you to turn with me again, Acts chapter 8. And if you're able to, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read a few verses together, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Uh, This is not Philip the disciple. This is the evangelist, a different person. Saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran, I love that verb, Philip ran thither to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand what thou readest. And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation and judgment, he was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh this, the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. We're going to look today at the gospel of Isaiah 53. Just as a short recap of what we have done over the past uh, several weeks now, looking at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, again, actually, hold your place in Acts. Let's briefly look back at Isaiah 53 and just kind of do a very quick overview, a little flyover of this. Isaiah 53, this passage is, we consider, a messianic uh, prophecy concerning the Messiah. And this is, again, the fourth of the servant songs. So this is actually... Not just a chapter, this is actually a song that should have been sung. And actually some commentators believe that, that uh, when the Jewish people as a whole, when they will look upon him whom they pierce and finally realize who the Messiah truly is. And by the way, folks, there's only one true Messiah. Okay, remember that. But as we think about that, some 
people believe that this is the song that the Jewish people will sing before they, they hear, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So kind of interesting. Isaiah 53, the chapter, or the song actually begins in chapter 52, verse 13, where it starts out, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He should be exalted and extolled. And then it describes the servant. Many were astonished at thee. His visions was so marred more than, and, than any man. It goes on to say in verse chapter 53, verse 1, Who hath believed our report, our message, and who is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of dry ground, had no form or comeliness that we should see him. There's no beauty that we should desire them. So we see the coming of this servant. When he appears on the scene, he's going to be unrecognizable in some aspects, and also from where he comes is going to be unnoticeable. The, the Messiah would be an unnoticed Messiah, unexpected Messiah. Where, who is this Messiah? It's just unexpected. They were anticipating maybe someone who come from a, a royal, he did come from a royal line, from the line of David, but in a more grand way than rather than a, in a, laid in a manger, so to speak. Okay? But it goes on to say, describing this suffering sermon, verse 3 and 4, of his sufferings. He was despised, rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We talked about the acquaintance of grief as the idea of acquainted with diseases. And uh, it has the idea of, remember, we, ta- we liken that to the lepers that um, would have been outcast. They would have been outside the camp, and it was through the function of the priest that they had to go to the priest to be declared healed. That's exactly what Jesus did when he was here on earth. Who did he associate with? The outcasts, the lepers, and when he touched them, he did not become impure, he, be, he was still pure. But he brought those lepers into fellowship with the rest of Israel. That's the same thing when Jesus died for us, folks. He brought us from death unto life, to le- from leprosy to cleanliness. Amazing when you think about that. We see here, he had borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. As we see through all this, there's a need. Why did this Messiah, why did the servant suffer so? It mentions this. The reason is in verse 6 is the linchpin, if you will, of, of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we look at this passage, the reason why this servant suffered so greatly was for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Everyone, like it says in Romans and other places of the Bible, we are all sinners. We are all born into sin, folks. We have all wandered away from the Lord just as sheep without a shepherd. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Basically, the rest of the passage really talks about his innocence. He is like a lamb led to the slaughter. He's, he's, uh, he's cut off from the land of living, which means the servant, whoever this is. Remember, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus came to this earth. Whoever the servant is, is going to die a violent death, and he was innocent, and dying for others who were sinners and transgressors. That doesn't sound fair, folks. That doesn't sound just. But that was God's plan. Why? Because verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God didn't take gleeful pleasure in the fact that Jesus died. No, it accomplished the will of God, and he was pleased in that. He says he made his soul an offering for sin. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his right hand. So we see here that prolonging his days has the idea that the servant will come back to life as we see this as well. So in the end, we see in verse 11, 
in verse 12, that that servant will be rewarded and he will share that reward with those who has, he has redeemed. Folks, that is a very quick overview of Isaiah 53. It's a powerful passage. Something that we should just read over and over again, be familiar with it as well. I think a lot of Christians were a little bit scared when, when it comes to the Old Testament. What do we do with this? But the overall theme of the Hebrew Bible, the Bible that we have here, is a messianic hope. There are, is hope for sinners. And it's found in Jesus, the Messiah. So the question is this, who is this Messiah? I want us to share, I want to share with you a testimony. Go back to Acts chapter 8. We're going to get to the text in a moment. But I want to share, first of all, a testimony. This is a testimony of a, of a dear friend of our families. Uh, for my wife and I, and even my parents know this person as well. And, and, and her name is Hagit. Uh, we actually prayed with her. She had dealt with cancer. She still has an upcoming procedure coming. Some of you might remember we prayed for her about a year or so ago. But let me share with you Hagit's testimony. She writes this. It's a little bit lengthy, but listen on. It's, I think it's well done. She writes, The first time I heard about Jesus as the Messiah was one summer in 1990 when I was on vacation with my family at the Sea of Galilee. I have to stop right there for a second. Uh, her family and our family, we were very, very close. We called her parents like our Israeli parents. We were very, very close. Uh, still are. And uh, actually, your family, when Bandy was in high school, you guys used to go up to the Galilee all the time to vacation. So this is a very close relationship. But anyways, in 1990, Hagit, she met a young man who was a worker with International Board of Jewish Missions, which the same mission we're associated with. We started to talk, and I remember him asking me that if I die today, where I would go. And I told this man, I told him that my good deeds and bad deeds would be weighed out and would be determined where I would go. He responded that if I would trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I could know for sure that I would end up in heaven. But I explained to him that we as Jewish people already believe in God and asked him why we would need someone between us and God. I mentioned we have the day of Yom Kippur or or the day of atonement. We fast and we ask God to forgive us of the sins we committed during that year and, and we believe he does. We're good. We're Jewish. He then challenged me though from scripture to consider the need for a blood sacrifice required for sin atonement. I responded that we no longer have a temple in order to have a blood sacrifice. Now we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I was reared to believe that my good deeds would be the basis for my acceptance before God. However, he told me that the Bible says that it's not because of what we have done to deserve salvation, but because of what God has done for us on the cross so we could have salvation, the gift of eternal life. So they went back and forth for a while. Hagid, she says, I was hurt and confused. He shared something that I found hard to receive because if I believed his words, it would be as if I was turning my back on my entire family. And for a lot of Jewish folks, that's the biggest um, difficulty in accepting Jesus as the Messiah. What's my family going to say? Okay, very, very stressful time. However, she said, I could not dismiss what he told me. Therefore, I began searching for the truth in the Bible itself. Over the next few years, I met and became close friends with some other IBGEM workers, and that was Mandy's family, okay, Mandy's parents especially. In 1994, I made the decision to go to the United States with my friends. In the USA, we visited several churches, and every service I would hear of Jesus' second coming and that I needed to trust him now. My friends continued to encourage me to receive Christ as my Savior, but I would say no because I thought that I would have to deny who I was as a Jew and turn my back on my family. And that's a real 
uh, difficulty that Jewish people face for that. It was around this time, in 1994, a little after that, that uh, Hagit, she says, I was asked to translate some gospel tracts into Hebrew. I translated five different ones without really any conviction. However, I began translating a tract named Messiah, Who Is He?, written by Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse. I've mentioned his name several times. He was the founder of International Board of Jewish Missions. And uh, Dr. Gardenhouse wrote Messiah, Who Is He?, which shows how Isaiah 53 describes who the Messiah was and what he did for us on the cross. This was the beginning of Hagit's true understanding of the gospel of Isaiah 53. Now, we'll get to her story a little bit later, the end of it. As Paul Harvey says, there's the rest of the story. Okay? With that in mind, we're going to look at now at the text, and we're going to see here, this is really the application of Isaiah 53 today, guys. How do we live out Isaiah 53? How do we, number one, understand it, and how do we live it out? and sharing it with others, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This is a gospel, yes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. And praise God for that, okay? So as we look at these verses, I want us to start again in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, kind of at the beginning. It says again, The angel Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go to the south, into the way that goeth from, down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is the desert. I think it's interesting the, the path that God sometimes leads us on is usually not one of our own choosing. Philip the evangelist, who had done some gospel ministry in Samaria, remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel was supposed to go from where? From Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Acts 1, 8, by the way, is the outline of the book of Acts. If you see the progression of it, it starts out in Jerusalem, then Judea, Philip's in Samaria, and now it's getting to the uttermost part of the earth. Pretty amazing as you see that. So as you think about that, God leads them from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is the desert. So there's this road and it's a desert road. It's a lonely road. I think so many times when you see Bible characters who go on a desert path, it's a time really to stop and think and let God speak to them and use them in a special way. It's, I think of, uh, my first thought is, uh, remember Elijah. He ran from Jezebel going through the desert on his way to Horeb. And that's when God spoke to him in a still small voice. In an interesting way, here's Philip in the desert going down to Gaza. And by the way, it's desert and sand dunes for that area. And here's what happened. He arose and went. And he, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, came or under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And so the idea that here we have is a, a eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch. We don't have a name for him. One day when we get to heaven, I'm sure we will get to have a, a face to the name, right? Uh, and as we see here, that is believed that this man was probably a proselyte to Judaism is the most common thought that he was, a, or if nothing else, a God-fearer. He came to Jerusalem most likely for the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, uh, which happens in the early summer. And so this is where he's, he was at, and now he's coming back. He was there at the temple. Maybe, just maybe he could have been witness to the day of Pentecost. I'm not sure exactly the timeline when this took place, but nonetheless, he went up for one of the feasts. But it says he was returning, he's sitting in his chair, reading Isaiah 53, the prophet. So here he is meditating. Maybe he picked up a scroll at the uh, nearest, um, you know, Books a Million, you know, in, <laughs> in Jerusalem. I don't know. Or Shamatsky's is the, the chain there. Anyways, as he's reading Isaiah, the Spirit said, Philip, go, go join this man. Okay, in the Philip. And it says in verse 30, I love this. Philip just not went. He ran thither to him. Philip Here's the thing. He was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Lord. And when the Lord prompted him, he ran to do it. He obeyed immediately. 
I tell you what, that's, that's a remarkable man right there. Philip ran. Just right there. Philip ran. Trust God and just do it, okay? He ran thither to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Understand what thou readest. Of course, he needed a little help. I think as we look at this, this is what I call in verses 26 to 31, this is the, the gospel road of Isaiah 53. The gospel road of Isaiah 53. I want us to point out today, this is kind of the practical aspect of when we share the gospel with others. There are three keys to presenting the gospel and he, these are very important. I don't want you to miss this. He, this is practical. Remember that the book of Acts is an action book. And so what is the action taking place here? Okay, first of all here, the, what are the three keys to presenting the gospel? Number one, you need the man or woman of God. Verse 26, we have Philip, who is following the Lord. He's the man of God. By the way, there's also women of God who are committed to him, following him, okay? So the key to presenting the gospel, you need the man or woman of God. The next is the word of God. Verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chair, reading Isaiah 53. He was reading the Bible. He was reading God's word. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing, what? By the word of God. And so we see that here, that you have the man of God, the woman of God, you have the word of God in verse 28, and then you have something very, very important, and that's found in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and talk to him. And so the three keys to present the gospel is the man of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. These are very critical when we, sh- when we share the gospel with people. You need all three involved in that. I think a lot of times we try maybe do it in our own flesh or we forget to ask God for direction for His blessing and a lot of times we get frustrated. But if we are committed the, to, to God Himself, to His Word, and let the Spirit lead us and to guide us and give us opportunities, so many things can happen in that. And I encourage you to follow and seek the Lord for that. But I, I encourage you as well, here, as Philip was about to explain here, verse 31, how can I understand this except someone teach me? Philip then began to teach him. But here's the thing, before we, and this is from Mitch Glazer, a Jewish believer uh, who my wife and I know. Uh, Mitch Glazer says this, before we can proclaim Isaiah 53, we must become Isaiah 53. Let me say that again. Before we proclaim, we present Isaiah 53, we must become Isaiah 53. What do you mean by that? He says here, Jewish people, and Gentiles for that matter, need to see Isaiah 53 in action before we can win a hearing for the gospel and the message of sacrifice and atonement. And in order to do it, we must get close enough to Jewish people in friendship so they can see the suffering and risen Messiah in us. Do people see the Messiah in you? That's what it means. Before you proclaim Isaiah 53, become it. In other words, show Jesus the Messiah in your life. And how do you do it? Become the man of God or the woman of God, staying in the word of God, following the spirit of God. And when you do that, how do you present Isaiah 53? You do it through your life and through your testimony. Here's the idea. Be a servant. Who, what is Isaiah 53 about? It's about a servant, an innocent servant, who laid down his life for others. Bible says, Jesus, a greater man had no man that said a man lay down his life for his friends. You be a servant. You be a servant on others, putting others before you for the sake of Christ. This is the idea. Be a servant as well. True, a true, honor. here's the thing. How do you do that? How do you be a servant? Is be, becoming a friend. Becoming a friend. A true, honest friendship, someone said this, a true, honest friendship is a powerful tool in the Lord's hands. I'll be honest with you, for many people, how they came to know Christ was through a friend who deeply cared for him, a true, honest friend who came along their side. 
With that in mind, I encourage you as well, when we share the gospel with others, is don't force the gospel. Don't sit on someone and try with a, you know, got a hammer in your hand, says, I'm going to hit you if you don't believe in Jesus. It usually doesn't work very well, okay? Let me give you a little story. Uh, this is some years ago. I mean, Mandy, you might remember this. We were, had just finished the service. We had a, a couple guys that had come from, I want to say they're from the Boston area. I forget exactly where they're from. They came to Israel, and oftentimes we would have people from the U.S. or even other countries that would come stay with us or visit our, our fellowship, our congregation in Israel. And these, I don't know what quite to make of these folks. They were different. And you'll explain, what, and you'll understand why in just a moment. Okay, they were just kind of different the way they handled themselves. We, we were done with the service. Things were going well. We go out on the street. We were waiting for um, some people to, to join us. And these two guys were talking. And all of a sudden, there's a, an Israeli guy just walking down the street, minding his own business. And these guys literally grabbed him by the arm, pulled him, and pointed to me. Here, you, tell him about Jesus. And... And the guy was looking like shocked, like, what are you doing? The, the Israeli guy, what are you doing? And so I was like, I almost had to apologize because, I mean, they literally just grabbed him. And so I sp- spoke a little bit in Hebrew with them, talking about, you know, do you know who Jesus is, things like that. And, and I'll be honest with you, he just like, he couldn't wait to get away from us. <laughs> you understand why, okay? Folks, there's a way, there's a saying this, once you cut a person's nose off, there's no reason to give them a rose to smell. It's an old Indian proverb, Okay. Folks, we've got to be careful in how we present the gospel. Let me ask you this. Are these men of God? I believe they were. The Word of God? And the Spirit, was the Spirit of God involved in that? No. This is why I said, let's be led by the Spirit of God. Pray for opportunities. I, I remember I was um, speaking at a conference back in, um, uh, near Philadelphia, believe it or not. Just north of Philadelphia, okay? And uh, as I was on my way back to the airport, I had a rental car and I was waiting for the shuttle to pick me up. And I was praying that day. I don't know why the Lord just laid on my heart. God, bring a, someone Jewish across my path that I can share your grace with today. And I get on literally within a minute, a Jewish couple from Los Angeles decided to get on that same, same shuttle. And it was just the three of us. And we had about a 15-minute ride to the airport. And God used that work, and uh, they were sharing a little bit of some of the issues that they had. They were in the area because uh, a relative had cancer, and they were visiting, things like that. And so, but through that, we were, I was able to share a little bit of my testimony with them as well. I have no I see their faces. I have no idea what has become of them, but I praise God for that moment. I was able to give a little bit of truth, at least declare who God was and Jesus was to them. That's being led of the Spirit, folks. Now, I'm not perfect at that. I know we're all right, but let's rely. Let's ask the Spirit of God to direct us and give us those divine opportunities. It might not happen, but be careful not to force it, folks, because you know what? It becomes awkward for you, and it becomes awkward for the person you're trying to deal with, too. We're going to get to kind of another point in just a second, too. But this is the idea. Simply be a servant to the Lord. Simply submit to the Lord. Follow His will and follow His way. So this is very important for that. So again, as we look at these first few verses there, say that five times fast, this is the gospel road of Isaiah 53. On that desert road, God's grace is shown. And now let's come to the gospel message of Isaiah 53, verses 32 and 33. So they open up the scriptures, and Philip, what are you reading? And, And this is where they read it. It says in verse 32, The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, And like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life? 
is taken from the earth. These verses that we just read here is basically Isaiah 53, verses 7 and, and 8. And here's the thing. Why is Luke pointing out, who is writing this, writing the book of Acts, why is he pointing out these two verses, uh, verses 7 and 8? Here's the thing, I, I believe, and I like what one commentator said this, that Isaiah's focus on Isaiah 53 was this question. Why the servant suffered? Why did the servant suffer? And the answer is that he was bruised for our iniquities. We are sheep gone astray, okay? He took our sins upon himself, is the idea, okay? That was his focus, why the Messiah, why the servant suffered. The book of Acts, why is Luke writing this way? He is dealing with this question, who is the servant who suffered? Who is this servant? Because for 700 years, folks, who was this suffering servant that Israel was to look for? That one would come and deal with their sins, take their sins away. And there would be an answer. There would be an answer. And Luke is pointing, or Philip, as he's opening up here, uh, Luke's writing this out. It's talking about this was the one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Talks about his humiliating judgment. He, his, uh, who shall declare his generation, his progeny. His life is taken from the earth. This is the idea. So from this passage, we see here in these two verses, two big things that the servant the suffering servant died submissively like a lamb to the slaughter and died silently. It talks about how he died in that, but also is the focus, who exactly is this servant? But here's the thing. When we look at Isaiah 53, you read those passages in Isaiah 53, and again, for us, for most Christians, you look at that and say, man, that's Jesus. That's easy. You know, two plus two equals four. We get it. That's simple, okay? But here's something to understand, too. When you're witnessing to, whether it be a Jewish person or a Gentile, for that matter, is this. And I like what Mitch Glazer says on this. Even though Isaiah 53 clearly points to the Messiah and his work, this is not always self-evident to those in whom the Holy Spirit is not yet working. In other words, has the Holy Spirit really led that other person in that? Maybe not. Maybe they're not quite ready. For us, we say, man, this is black and white. We understand this perfectly. But for a lot of people, they have that veil over this. The Bible says in Romans that the Jewish people are partially blinded. Not totally blind, praise God, but partially blind. There is a, a cloud, if you will, over exactly what is this all about. And there's some confusion on who this is, okay? And so this is very important. This is why we need to be led to the Spirit of the Lord and not force someone when they're not ready. Can I just share this another story? There was a, um, a lady in, in, that had been coming to our services in, in Tel Aviv. Her name was Ruth. Do you remember her? I think she was from Ghana or Nigeria. It's one of the countries there. And uh, we had a lot of different um, migrant workers from different countries, uh, some African countries as well as Asia as well. And so this lady named Ruth came for quite a while. And she was so confused on the gospel, who Jesus is. I mean, there's a lot of things she believed. I remember there was a, uh, talking about visiting uh, preachers that came. There was a guy, I remember he's from California, and he had a very strong church over there, and so we invited him to come, and he, and he preached uh, for us, and the message was, was good. I don't remember all of it, but it was, it was a good message. But at the very end of the message, during the altar call, he had a couple of people, they had a small tour group, and two of his guys, which I think were deacons or something in his church, uh, and Harvey would never do this, but anyways, this is what happened. These guys, after the end, after he prayed, Two of his deacons stood at the very front there, almost like bodyguards, during the invitation. 
Now, for some churches, sometimes they do that. Our people were scared to death. These are big guys. They're, there's like Mike Pinto and Donnie Sweeney. All right, who are not going to mess with these guys? It was really weird. Our people were like looking at each other like, what's going on? They're not used to that. What happens this? Ruth, I mentioned her name earlier, she decides to get up, and she's been coming like for several weeks, you know, trying to figure out the gospel and things like that. Anyway, she finally came after, I think, the third verse of Just As I Am, whatever it was, okay? She finally comes up, and they deal with her in the back, and they rejoice, hey, she got saved and all that. Folks, she was so lost. She, she was more intimidated than anything. They were forcing that issue upon her to, hey, you better believe in Jesus. If you pray, hey, God's going to make everything work for you. Folks, the Spirit of God had not led her to that point yet. you got to be patient, folks. Be patient. Why? Wasn't the Lord patient with you and how you came to Christ? How many of you, it took not just one, some maybe did just for the first time they heard the gospel, but for most folks, it takes them several times to hear the gospel before it really just clicks. And they say, oh, now I understand it. Folks, be patient. Let the Spirit of God work in people's lives. That is the power of Isaiah 53. And so here's the thing. We've got to be very careful in how we present the gospel. But again, allow God's Spirit to work in and through you. Be a faithful messenger. Be, be, allow God to work through that. Obviously, we have the gospel road of Isaiah, the gospel message, and now we get to the gospel focus. So after they read through this, it says in verse 34, and, uh, it says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, I'm asking you, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other person? Again, he's wondering, well, who, okay, I understand this. Someone is suffering greatly here. Who is this? And that's the point of, of the book of Acts, this version here. It's like, who is this suffering servant? And like I said, there was some confusion about that. Is it, is it the prophet himself? Is it Isaiah? Is it someone else? And we, we've talked about over the past several weeks that there's several views. If you talk to Jewish people or even others, there's a lot of different views on who is the identity of, the, of Isaiah 53. And again, if you talk to most like, religious Jewish people, they're going to say, who is it? It's Israel. We are the ones who are like sheep, lambs led to slaughter. We are the ones who bore our griefs, okay? We, did, we suffered so greatly, okay? But again, how can Israel die for Israel? That's another issue altogether. But again, there's all kinds of uh, different things. We talked about Simon Bar Kokhba, a, a false messiah that was there about 100 years after Christ. Uh, about two weeks ago, we talked about Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, who back in the 1990s had died, and many people had proclaimed him to be the messiah, by the way, it's something that he never said himself, but he never dismissed it either. It's kind of one of those things. And remember what I said, there were, his followers were staying around his grave for three days, waiting for him to rise from the dead back in 1994. And their followers are still around to this day, some declaring him to be the Messiah. By the way, I've got to throw this in because I think you'll find this interesting, is this, that, uh, again, this, this sect of Judaism called the Lubavitcher Chabad, that followed this rabbi, Menachem Schneerson, when they were identifying that he is the one, remember Schneerson, I said this a couple weeks ago, that remember that he had suffered a stroke and that he went downhill, so he suffered as that suffering servant. That was their interpretation. And so they were identifying as a man. But remember, amongst most Jewish, uh, religious Jews, they interpret it as the nation of Israel, not an individual. So there was a guy... Uh, a, an Orthodox Jewish author who basically called them all and said, hey, don't call Schneerson the Messiah because if you say it's a person, you're giving ammunition to the missionaries. 
That's what he was doing. Really amazing, kind of that going back and forth. But nonetheless, there's various views on who the servant is. There's a lot of confusion on who this servant is. So who is this servant? The eunuch asks, is it the prophet or someone else? And so as we think about this, Luke writes about this servant uh, here in the book of Acts explicitly. He lays it out very simply here. Uh, he also mentions that uh, implicitly in other places. In other words, there is an, here's the point. There is an intentional message of the clear identity of the servant, of the Messiah. Jesus is proclaimed as the ultimate fulfillment of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Remember he says in Luke 24 that the Son of Man must suffer. He would fulfill what was written in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and in the prophets concerning him. Okay, very important as we see that. It says here as well that many Jewish people are confused about Jesus. Here's the thing. It says here, Luke, uh, excuse me, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same time, or same scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached them in Jesus. Here is Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Most Jewish and Gentile people are still confused about Jesus. Why is that? You talk Isaiah 53 with a Jewish friend or others as well. Most are unfamiliar with these verses. Like most of them have never even read it, never even heard about it. Most are not even familiar with Isaiah himself as a prophet. For us, this is like household names in, in the Christianity. But for many, this is, we don't even know who he is or not much about him. But here's the another thing. Most Jewish people, and we experience this especially living in Tel Aviv, most do not even believe in the Bible. How do you start with someone, you know, you share with them, here's the scriptures, but they don't even believe the Bible at the, at the beginning. They don't believe in original sin. They don't believe in sacrifices. The idea of a blood sacrifice, I mean, in this world, if we had a sacrifice out in the parking lot after the service, folks, we'll just call it a barbecue, right? Okay. <laughs> but I mean, the idea of a sacrifice for sin is we just, we don't relate to that, okay? And also the idea of atonement. Why, and like Hagit in her testimony, why do I need to be atoned for my sin? We have Yom Kippur, we do it once a year, we're good. We're Jewish as part of our tradition. But here's another thing. We talk about the Messiah and that he would see his, his seed, prolong his days. But here's the thing, most Jewish people, and even Gentiles as well, do not even believe in the resurrection. Some of these basic, what we consider basic teachings in Christianity are unfamiliar to our neighbors, Jewish and Gentile. We have to think about that way. But here's the thing, don't let that stop you from sharing Isaiah 53. Why is that? Because I believe that Isaiah 53, even if someone has basically no knowledge of the Bible, Isaiah 53 is still a connection for our Jewish friends, because why? It is a part of their Bible. They have a link to that in their heritage, in their family background. So Isaiah 53 is a good way to introduce biblical concepts. Think of it that way. It's a good way to introduce. It's a way to get the conversation started. I would encourage you, keep it simple. Keep it simple. I remember we talked about our friend uh, Kim. When uh, she came to our church or the gospel and all that, we invited her to our house. We opened up the Bible, a Hebrew Bible, just like this. We opened up to Isaiah 53. I had her read it, and she just kind of was stunned after she read it. I said, Kim, is this the first time you've read Isaiah 53? She says, this is the first time I've ever read the Bible. Here she is in her 30s. Never read the Bible. How do you start with that? You've got to keep it simple, folks. Be patient. Again, let the Holy Spirit work. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit work through you and through this person, bring them to the self, okay? Very important as we see this, okay? So keep it simple. But here's the, the gist of the matter today. Isaiah 53, we've read it. We went through the series on it. So what? What do we do with this now? 
Here's the point of Isaiah 53. Jesus as the suffering servant, his unjust suffering and death was used by God to pay the price for our salvation and even to redeem those that rejected him. Think of so many times, even in your own life, in your own testimony, how many times we've rejected God and his servant Jesus over and over and over. But God in his patience, guess what? He gave us the ultimate gift of all, and that's Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection for them. And he did it to pay the price for our salvation, to pay for your salvation. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Praise God for that. So Isaiah 53, is it worth it? Absolutely. It will change your life. So now we get to the rest of the story. What about Hagit? She was starting to translate those tracks. Like I said, this happened after several years of being witnessed to. So Hagit was asked to translate some gospel tracks into Hebrew, and she said, I translated five different ones without any conviction. However, I began translating a track named Messiah, Who Is He? by Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse, who shows how Isaiah 53 describes who the Messiah was and what he did on the cross. This was the beginning of Hagit's true understanding of the gospel of Isaiah 53. She says this, when she was doing the translation work from English to Hebrew, I was touched and unable to finish the translation, realizing that day that Jesus is our Jewish Messiah who was the ultimate sacrifice for my sins. And so on September 27th of 1994, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. But the moment I did, I had the most amazing peace enter my heart. Now, she did keep that a secret for quite a while from her parents. She had a New Testament that she hid and only took it out after she knew her parents and family members were asleep. Um, She was secretly baptized on the Jordan River north of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, And uh, so she kind of hid that secret. And when her parents finally found out, her mom was very upset. Stink still is to some degree. Her dad was quiet but accepting of it at the end. And to this day, she's the only believer in her family after all these years. You can pray for them. They're like family to us. But you see here, this is a testimony of one who Isaiah 53 changed their life. Isaiah 53 is foundational to an understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. He fulfilled prophecy. Okay, He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Isaiah 53 then challenges you to behold the unexpected, the suffering, and the triumphant Messiah. He overcame death and offers redemption to sinners like you and me. I invite you to open the scriptures. Believe in the gospel of Isaiah 53. This chapter will change your life.